My name is Julian Black Antelope, and I'm from the Buckskin Black Horse family, the Weasel people, and you're listening to Neil Before Pod. Neil Before Blog presents Neil Before Pod. Hello and welcome to Neil Before Pod, the podcast that is ready for another annual round of self-punishment. I'm your host Craig and I'm here to lead a discussion about the seventh season of The Flash, hence the self-punishment. Joining me here is someone else who also likes to punish themselves, Andrew, hi. Hello, yes, well if nothing else I think the listeners would certainly prefer self-punishment to self-abuse. Maybe there's a bit of self-abuse in there. The self-abuse is, I guess, watching it. The self-punishment is talking about it. Yeah, it really feels like that sometimes. Or maybe it's a therapy session. Yes, which is something that many people on the show could probably deal with. Nah, they forget everything that happened to them on a weekly basis. It's pretty good. They're essentially a blank slate week to week, so they're okay. Yeah, that's true. But we get ahead of ourselves. So let's get into the spoiler-free thinking about this season. So season seven of The Flash was a weird one. What did you think of the season, just without spoiling? I thought it was an absolute mess. It spent far too long not doing very much and not really going anywhere, firing multiple plots and also subplots at us at a wildly inconsistent rate, and then not developing them much in any way, leaving us to just simply watch it week after week, because that's about as good as any engagement was going to get. I would agree. It was a very messy season, although it probably wasn't the worst season. I think it was at times watchable. I think there are watchable things about it. I know I've been far more frustrated with it in previous years, although maybe I've just settled into a vibe with the show now, where I'm just not expecting anything from it, so therefore I don't get annoyed at it anymore. As opposed to when you get to season three and I was like, I remember how good you used to be in season one. But now we're so far removed from season one that there's no point in expecting it anymore. So why bother? So maybe that's it. Maybe that's why I'm not as annoyed about it as I could have been. Keep your expectations low and you'll never be disappointed. Yeah. Does it meet my low expectations? I guess sometimes. There's some good stuff in there, which we'll get to. But yeah, it's a unfortunate shell of its former self. Its former self being the first season. It hasn't really been good or great since then, which is bizarre for a show that we've both been watching religiously for seven years. Oh, that just feels painful to put it like that. What do you watch? The Flash? Do you like it? No, not really. Then why do you watch it? I don't know. Because it's part of a shared universe that I'm invested in. Does it make any difference whether you watch it or not to that universe? No, not really. Then why do you watch it? Because it's part of a shared universe that I'm invested in. I'll just keep coming back to that. That way I wouldn't get that one joke during the crossover that you would get only if you watched an episode earlier in the season. But they don't do crossovers anymore. Well, yeah. But I don't know. Okay, stop asking me. <laughs> you pull in this thread and it just falls apart. Please don't ask me why I watch it. Stop asking me questions <laughs> I, I can't answer. Yeah, don't wake me up to the reality of my situation, please. Just leave me in this ignorance that I've dug myself in and that I'll just keep watching this show even though... I don't like it that much. Yeah, so it's a mess. We're both agreed on that. 
let's just speed into the spoilers force and just talk about it in detail. Sounds good to me. Or create the spoiler force. That's possibly a spoiler. Okay, let's just start with Barry or lead. Why not? I think that as a character, Barry isn't developing. He's not learning anything. He's not building towards anything. He isn't growing in any way. It's really weird. He's just such a stagnant character. And there are repetitive lessons he keeps learning, such as how not to be a bad leader. So, for example, he shouts at Chester and then apologises for it later and then realises he shouldn't have shouted at Chester or listened to his input. He does that quite a lot, where there's just things about being a leader that he doesn't learn. Later in the season, when he benches Bart and then realises he shouldn't have benched Bart, he should have listened to his children in terms of coming up with a plan. It's the same stuff over and over again. And that'd be fine if it was his stubbornness that was keeping him from being an effective leader, but they punctuate it by making sure he learns those lessons and then immediately forgets them. It's not that people call him out on the fact that he's not learning these lessons. It's as if he doesn't know what he's doing and then he learns what he's doing. And then the next week he doesn't know what he's doing again and then he learns what he's doing. And it just keeps repeating. Yeah, and it gives the feeling that each episode was somehow written in a vacuum, completely absent of input from any other writers that would lead to something resembling continuity. They seem to have forgotten that the thing that makes shows like these so compelling when they're good, it isn't the weird and wonderful superpowers that everybody has, or historic battles with demented villains where everyone's flinging around better human energy that for some reason all gathers an invisible spectrum. It's the characters that interest people, but they just don't seem to be caring enough to actually focus on that anymore. And they're just throwing the same Saturday morning kids' cartoon lesson at us every single time and expecting us to just be fine with that and then just calling it a day because it seems like they can't be bothered coming up with anything deeper or more complex than that. And I really don't know why. It just smacks of laziness than anything else. And Barry is the prime example of how they're just not developing people. And to see him make the same mistakes every week and learn the same lessons each time, it just gets tedious. There isn't any mystery as to as to where the characters are going to be by the end of the, the, end of the episode. You know the lessons they're going to learn. You know that Everyone's going to kiss and make up by the 40th minute. And then next week, we'll just do it all again. And it is that we have 42 minutes to fill. We need conflict within those 42 minutes. And the conflict is always, Barry's going to do something stupid. And he's going to ignore reasonable advice from someone. He's going to ignore the most reasonable course of action. And he's going to proceed along a wrong-headed assumption that will go wrong and create a problem that they then have to fix by him listening to the person that gave him that advice in the first place. And that happens, maybe not every episode, but it does happen repeatedly throughout the season. And it always ends up, as you say, in the same place with, I should have listened to you in the first place and we should have done this half an hour ago because then the episode would be over. So it's almost like the writers are incapable of creating conflict without doing that. Maybe it's due to COVID times, we need more scenes set in the cortex, which means they have to be at odds with each other about a decision that someone's made. Then we can cut to the CGI action sequence where we don't need any actors and whatever else. But I don't think it's COVID related because it's been happening every season, again, after season one, really. It's just a pattern now, or it has been for a long time, and it's really dull and really boring. And it stops Barry from being a really interesting character because you see him in the crossovers as this decisive understanding, knowledgeable leader. I rewatched the episode of Supergirl where he shows up recently because 
it's joyful and I wanted to cheer myself up. And in that episode, he is the expert. He is the one Kara goes to for guidance and he has the answers. But if you watch his own show, he's a mess. He doesn't know what he's doing. Yeah, and it just feels like the episodes are being written to some kind of formula. Well, a monster appears, a metahuman appears, Barry fails to defeat it, Barry makes some big mistake, Barry refuses to listen to advice, Barry makes another big mistake that makes things five times worse, Barry then actually listens to what he should have done and defeats it. Enemy, and then everything is all happy and uplifting, time for Stinger for the next episode. Well, as I said, it's not developing him as a character at all. It's like he's not even a character anymore, he's just a presence. He's someone who is there to fulfil various actions that the plot requires of him, because if he didn't, there wouldn't be a plot. And just watching him just not seem to get it at all is beyond frustrating. Yeah, especially when he's supposed to be a decisive, heroic figure, where he's anything but. Exactly. And there's times that he doesn't even feel like he even is a leader. He's just someone who tells everyone else what to do because he's got the most powerful metahuman abilities, which doesn't actually make someone a leader. If they had perhaps picked up on something like that, and I played with that a little bit, maybe having Barry actually realise that he's a terrible leader and then be inspired to do something about it, then that would have at least been something to focus on, something to develop. But there's just nothing. Yeah, that brings to mind the final season of Buffy, actually, where everyone in the Scooby gang, as the team was known in Buffy, was starting to lose faith in her leadership. And there was a bit where Anya says, you're the Slayer, that doesn't make you better than us, that makes you luckier than us. And you could have a similar situation here where someone, possibly Frost, because she's supposed to be the most standoffish, even though she isn't, or Allegra, for example, Hmm. saying, you're the Flash, that doesn't make you better. That makes you the lucky one that got struck by lightning and got given these powers. That doesn't make you equipped to lead us. In fact, what you're doing is repeatedly demonstrating that you're not equipped to lead us. And it could be a really intense emotional arc that could be followed because you could even have Joe turn against them in that respect. You could have Joe say, you're making a lot of bad decisions here. But all he does is give him a speech that shuffles his thinking in a way that just makes him take a different action. Whereas Joe should really be calling him out on, especially as a parent, calling him out on the fact that he just keeps making the same mistakes. That's about all I've got to say on it, really. (laughs) It's frustrating, it's irritating, it's tedious, and I'm sick of it. I suppose it's a good time to come on to the whole power thing, as in because the early part of the season is about them trying to get his powers back. And I found this really confusing because what was actually happening seemed to change. So... Last season, they were working on an artificial speed force. Fine. Barry is going to draw his power from another source. It's this artificial speed force. The old one's dead. But they were still kind of calling it the artificial speed force, and they were still keeping it running, but the speed force, as was, came back. I mean, one line of dialogue would have fixed it. We've regenerated the speed force. We've done that using whatever we've developed here. And now it's back to normal again. And then you had the the artificial speed force. Probably my favourite episode of the season is the one where Barry develops the ability to speed think. And he loses his emotional connection to everybody around him because he just starts thinking based on pure strategy. And starts behaving in a way that is very concerning because he's not focused on the emotional impact of what he's doing anymore. And that gives you what his real power is, as in his ability to care, his compassion, his connection to those around him. I really liked that episode. I thought it was very well done. And the way that you were just so cleverly setting up the downfall of the rest of the team, for example, just when they rebelled against them and all that stuff. I mean, 
it's something that could be happening anyway, but they had to produce an external force to make it happen. But I was very confused by what the artificial speed force was supposed to be versus what it became, because the suggestion was this is an artificial speed force. We haven't done it right. So it's produced this situation where we've got the Flash, but he has no compassion anymore. He's essentially a robot with speed. And then later on it was, well, we've changed it a little bit. We've found a different source of whatever. And now it's the speed force again. It didn't really make any sense to me. For for me, that's kind of emblematic of an ongoing issue with the season. Not very much seems to have been properly thought through. Every idea that they're coming up with is just a plot device. It's some metaphysical nonsense that somebody has dreamed up to get the plot from point A to point C. And once it's served its purpose, it's just discarded and forgotten about, with the ramifications of it actually existing, not really being properly explored. And the idea of having a speed force that basically goes wrong had a great deal of potential, and it was quite disappointing just how quickly it was discarded. Then they just moved on to the next thing, and then everything that they could have done with it was just dropped. Yeah, because he upset Iris, and that's what snapped him out of his emotionless funk. And then he destroys the artificial speed force, and then Wells shows up, the new Wells, or is it Timeless Wells, they called them? Oh, that was a whole other mess of us. We're going to get to that, aren't we, yes? Oh, yes. <sighs> but I actually quite liked some of the ideas in there at the beginning, because it was very much about... The heart of the team is the people that are the team. So using the team to give Barry his powers back made sense. And there was that really cheesy scene where he was running around the speed lab and he was like grinning away and it just looked so ridiculous. And Iris fired her spark into the artificial speed force to bring it to life and all that stuff. It's really cheesy, but it's very on brand for the show. And I think it worked really well and it was quite uplifting to see it all. And everybody's pulling together, making this all happen. That's fine. But yeah, after that point, it just got crazy and confusing. And then obviously you have that line of dialogue where it's, well, I'm faster than ever now. It's like, well done for getting rid of all that potential of he's not as fast as he used to be. (laughs) Or we have a finite amount of speed that he can use. And was it in the first episode? They're like, you've got 2% of your speed left or whatever. It's going to run out like any minute now. You're not going to have it for much longer. So they accelerated that along anyway. And then as soon as they turn on the artificial speed force, you've never been faster, Barry but you'll still somehow be too late to do anything when something's happening across town. It reminds me of in Babylon 5, when J. Michael Straczynski was asked how fast the spaceships go. I can't remember their proper name. So she said, they move at the speed of plot. So if they need to arrive on time, they'll get somewhere on time. If they need to be just too late, then they will be just too late. It's that same kind of thing with Barry's speed. It's just all, always it ends up being applied inconsistently and just whatever the given situation requires to have the most dramatic outcome. And there was some potential to possibly explore who Barry or who the Flash is without his speed, and and look into it if he could still consider himself a hero without any abilities to fight metahumans with. Or even just plateau him at a lower power level. Hmm. You've got your speed back, but you'll never be able to use Flash time again, for example. Yes, which would have been a great way of getting rid of that completely game-breaking ability. (laughs) Which still hasn't been explained why it doesn't break out every single time. Yeah, use it all the time. 
you would never lose. And it's possible that the people might have actually forgotten about it if they hadn't been reminded again. Because the problem is, they keep telling us that he's faster than he ever was before, but I think we already got to a point where it shouldn't be possible for him to be any faster than he is. He can move so fast that things are literally standing still. How much faster is there? But at the same time, it's still, oh no, someone's robbing a bank or whatever, and he doesn't get there before the finished robbing the bank. And he can have a chat with people over comms while he's running there as well, which he should be moving too fast to have that conversation because he should be there already. But then you frequently see him like, I'm off for donuts or whatever. And then he comes back instantly with donuts or pizza or whatever snack he's away to get. Okay, so you can be there and back instantly when you need pizza. But when someone's about to rob a bank, you take your time. Doesn't make any sense. Plus, it always annoys me. How is he getting these pizzas instantly, right? He hasn't ordered them in advance. And how is he paying for them? Is he just running in and stealing them? Or does he just drop a stack of banknotes on the counter and expect the folk in the shop to figure it out? Was it in Smallville that Clark did that? He took a newspaper or something, paid for it. Maybe I'm making that up. Possibly. Sounds like something I do. Plus, we have, have, have like, like, like a, a couple of coins spinning on a counter. Yeah, because I know that in Spider-Man comics, they would do a bit where he takes a newspaper from a newspaper stand and then he webs down the quarter or whatever it costs just to pay for it. Stuff like that. I mean, that's not stuff that really needs to be explained, but it's a little speed thing. It's just, you're faster than ever. In fact, one of the finale twists hinges on him being really, yes. really fast as well. It's also all largely irrelevant because on a narrative level, it doesn't really matter how quantifiably fast he is, because he's always going to be able to move at inhuman speed. And using that is how he does what he does. But saying that he's faster now than he was at a given previous point, it doesn't add anything. It doesn't make any difference to anything. And to to keep labouring this point, it's pointless. Yeah. He should be so impossibly fast by now that nothing challenges him, unless it's another speedster that is as fast as he is, which we're still doing. We still have that. Yes, yes we do. But anything that's not a speedster, or a force of nature, as we'll get to, shouldn't really be a challenge for him anymore. But things still are. And it's because we we need to involve the whole team, and we need to do whatever. And just for some reason, I'm not running about and solving this in two seconds. Doesn't make any sense. Another frustrating thing about the show, and I think when it comes to establishing the boundaries of the power levels that they're working with, They've just failed to do that consistently. Season one was all about him getting faster. And there were certain things that kept happening in season one that were because he wasn't quite fast enough yet to do it. And that was a consistent development for him. And then ever since then, it's just been, I'm faster, I'm still faster, I'm faster, I'm faster. But for some reason, still being challenged by things that I shouldn't be challenged by because I'm so fast. When they introduced DeVoe, and he he was the first primary villain who wasn't a speedster, presumably because they were just wanting to try something a bit different. But the only reason that he ended up being any kind of threat was because of Barry just acting utterly idiotically. Because it, it seemed, seemed like they couldn't think of a way for his, his abilities to not be any use against somebody without him just being a moron, really. And then Cicada would take their powers whenever they know they've got close. So that works, in a way. But most villains shouldn't be a challenge for him. And they still are, somehow. Still takes us a whole episode to deal with, I don't know. What's his name? David Dasmalshin's character? Uh, Abracadabra. That's the one. David Dasmalshin, the guy that has played more DC characters than anyone, I would think. By now, yeah, I think think you're right. He loves a DC thing because he's done a voice work, he's done this, he's done Suicide Squad, he's done something else. I forget. But he's done other stuff. He was in Long Halloween, wasn't he? Yeah, exactly. So let's just talk about the opening story, the hanger-on from last season, the mirror 
arc with Eva McCulloch and all that. It feels like a million years ago now, weirdly, but yeah. Todd Helbing, when he took over, he said, we're going to switch to a graphic novel approach. I think what he means is trade paperback because The Flash is a graphic novel. <laughs> it's a comic, it's a graphic novel. It's the idea of we'll have a contained story that ends and then we'll set up a new story that ends. We're going to copy Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. because they did that really well. We're going to steal what they did and do that. It's a good idea in theory, but the problem is they haven't executed it terribly mm-hmm. well. They've only done done it twice, really, but the previous season it was, I don't really care about blood work because I'm waiting for crisis. Really? And then anything post-crisis, I don't really care about because I don't know what you're doing with it. And now COVID being a problem, fair enough. We've got last season's hanger-on story to finish. So it means you've got three finales, really, this season, which are all ludicrous and make no sense at the same time. So you've got three of them in one season, which is far too many. The idea is fine, but the approach is all wrong. So the mirror arc, as it was, you had to get Iris out of the mirrorverse. You had to deal with Eva. You had to deal with whatever she was wanting to do. It was weird how quickly it escalated because it started from her wanting to matter a bit. And then they revealed that she's a duplicate, which means the original's dead, which ended up meaning nothing other than her trying to claim her own life, which does suggest that the duplicates are alive in their own right, which means the mirror Iris should be a more significant death than it was. But we're just going to gloss over that. It's another one of those things where ideas only have a significance if the plot requires that they do. And there was a lot of potential to, to look into, into ideas about what, what does and doesn't make someone truly alive and the nature of identity. And like I said, if a mere person's life is just as significant as, as the person they're a duplicate of. I'm just going to jump back to the 90s again here. There was an arc in Farscape where Crichton ended up being duplicated and the plot ended up with the crew being split between two locations and having one Crichton each. Well, it, it, was, it was quickly established that they were both Crichton and they were both valid and the lives of both of them were just as significant. And when one of them was eventually killed, it didn't feel like a spare just being given a boot. It felt like a main character being killed off. And to have the potential for that kind of existential depth, but not do anything with it is just a waste and a glaring oversight that really frustrated me. Or to bring in the example of Star Trek, where they would usually bring in a duplicate or two so you could kill off a main character and then just have them easily replaced. Harry Kim, for example, in Voyager. From the end of season two onwards, that's not the original Harry Kim anymore. Or there's the one where O'Brien's jumping a few hours into the future and he ends up sending another version of himself back in time. So again, not the original O'Brien anymore. <laughs> for the rest of the show but we just never address that because they're close enough we'll just forget about it doesn't matter but the specific thing about Eva was the original's dead so she has to figure out who she is and whether she's going to be the same or different or going to make something of herself and then you had that whole thing last season and I was really loving this story with the mirror iris highlighting how much the original is underestimated is taken for granted is treated in certain ways and the way that she behaves was in service of that and in service of getting people to understand that. And then they just forgot about it, like they do so many things. At least they sort of remembered that Eva is Iris's villain more than Barry's villain, where they kind of had them fight and Iris retained some of her powers from the Mirror Universe because she retained her powers from the Mirror Universe, but she lost them as soon as Eva left because can't have her lingering about with those even though everyone else in the team has superpowers at this point. Would it matter if Iris had mirror powers after this? I don't think I'd have cared too much. 
to be honest, that's the kind of thing that I could just take it or leave, really. Also because Iris is rarely in a situation where having powers would have affected how she dealt with it. Even with powers, she would likely still do things the same. So whether or not she actually had any abilities was kind of a moot point. Yeah, but there was no real weight to this identity plot at all because all it was was we're getting reports across the city of people saying their friends and family and so on are acting differently. And that was all it amounted to. And then you had the usual cities under siege again. Mm. We'll do some running about. We'll confront the villain. We'll appeal to their better nature. They'll stand down. And that's what happened. And that was it. When there was a lot of potential there, because I really liked, again, at the end of last season, how Eva wasn't interested in Team Flash, unless they were getting in her way. But then they flipped it almost immediately to her being fixated on bringing them down, because they were in her way. That was the thing. She did actually explicitly said to them, I know you don't like what I'm doing, but if you just let me get on with it, then I won't come after you. I will leave you alone. And then suddenly it's, I'm replacing the whole city with mirror duplicates. Because they are my children and they deserve to be alive, which seemed to be just not something that, that we were to think too much about. It was more just a generic villain plan that needed to be foiled in some way. And then she went after Top and the original Mirror Master who declined to appear because he just got kind of killed off screen. But he was a creation of her as well. Okay, and I suppose you can just wave anything away as crisis <laughs> at this point, can't you? Yeah, which they seem to, seem to be doing more and more now, to the point that it's becoming a danger of just lazy storytelling. If anything doesn't make sense based on previous stuff, crisis. But that creates another problem. It now feels like we're watching the seventh season of a show where we haven't seen the first six seasons, or five and a half seasons. Yeah, because if you are running on what is effectively a, a new continuity, you need to to let the viewers feel like they're still a part of it, so they're still going to be invested in it. In Legends of Tomorrow, when Bayrod was introduced, I've been expecting it to feel like a really jarring retcon that we were going to have to just accept and get on with. But when they brought him into things, it really felt like he'd always been there, and that his past adventures with the team were real, and that we'd experienced them, even though we obviously hadn't seen them. And it's that kind of feeling that the show needed to give the viewers post-crisis, but just didn't. Yeah, it wouldn't matter if they weren't constantly drawing attention to the fact that things are maybe different. I mean, in the case of the Eva creating the original Mirror Master that we saw back in season two, was it? Possibly. Doesn't really matter. They wasted an iconic villain, and Eva seemed like a good fix for that, but she wasn't, unfortunately. In the end, she was up until a point, but after that, she just became the crazed, I have a world domination plan lunatic that normally ends the seasons and these things. It was a real issue in that respect because what you had was a really interesting villain that had a different agenda and then she didn't. And you don't see what happens in between. It's always frustrating when a character's potential is just wasted. And the way that Eva was going about things, it was certainly different. And then it just seemed like they decided that they really didn't know how to wrap up her story so just twitched her to something more generic that can be addressed far more directly in the standard manner that they've been doing for well over half a decade now. And part of her defeat was broadcasting the fact that she's fake on the news or something? That was bizarre. (laughs) To be honest, when watching The Flash, I have given up on expecting characters' actions to have any degree of logic or consistency to them. Yeah, that's fair. Let's move on to the second arc then, The Four Seats. This is one that drove me insane week to week because they were talking about we created these. No, you didn't. They are forces of nature. You did not create forces of nature by building a machine that 
restores, because it's clear that whatever language they use, they restored the speed force. So what they did was they gave, I guess, the speed force an injection of energy that resurrected it or brought it back to life and whatever else. But in the meantime, what you did was also awaken these other forces. And it was it the strength force, the still force and the... Sage force. Sage force. Yeah, they're all stupid names, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that doesn't make any sense. But it was to bring in this whole forced Barry and Iris are ready to become parents thing. So it's these things are your kids and you have to treat them as such. No, they're not. They are people that have been possessed. And they leaned into that with the strength force, with her alter ego. Forza. Fuerza was the name of the they gave to the force. I mean, the human counterpoint. No, I can't remember. Sorry. Alexa was the human component. And she was very clearly possessed. She was someone who's had her life stolen by this entity that's within her and she can't control it, which is great. And... It worked really well. And you had that whole backstory of her being an addict who became motivated by the fact that she was an addict to help people get off drugs and all that stuff. That was all great. And then there was this whole representation of that addiction within her that she couldn't control. And it was reawakening those feelings. That was all really well done. And you did have that bit where Barry was being an idiot. I have to train you. I have to train you to control this. What do you mean you can't control this? Oh, look, Caitlin's giving me advice that I should listen to because she understands what it means to have something within her that she's afraid of that she can't control. Listen to her immediately. In fact, Caitlin should probably be the one training her because she understands, yes. but she isn't. I don't understand why, but we're going to relegate it to a conversation where Caitlin states the obvious and Barry says, oh yeah, cool. And then it ends with the whole, we're all family or whatever. We're going to do this together. So you had that. And then was it Don or Donnie who was the still force? They didn't lean into the fact that there was some guy called Donnie who was now possessed by a force. He was the still force. There was no Donnie as such. That was just what he went by. He was just like, this is who I am. I'm going to use his abilities to live how I want. And if you come after me, I will use them against you. Yeah, that was basically his thing. But there was no real indication of there was a person under there that had had his life stolen. And then they did it a bit with the sage force with Bashir, his name was, I believe. Because he was going after people that had wronged him. So, again, there was that. Yeah, because he was someone with an actual recognisable and understandable motivation for what he was doing. But it doesn't have any consistency with the previous characterization, for lack of a better word, of these forces, which have effectively just been brought to life and given sentience. All they had to do was lean into the fact that these people are being possessed by these forces. And even if the end result is we can't get them out, they're now part of this person. There's nothing we can do now. It's so weird that it ends with, we're going to go and live in this construct of a house inside the speed force but you've got three people that are abandoning their lives their families their friends their connections and in the case of alexa it's clear that she had connections exactly and she was doing something with her life that that she truly believed in and felt was worthwhile but that was all just completely forgotten about and utterly disregarded to the point that she only existed to serve the requirements of what was decided needed to be done with the strength force. Any semblance of who she was and what she wanted was just obliterated for no real reason. Yeah, so the we are parents to these forces angle didn't work because what you ostensibly have is you've got these three adults who are possessed by these forces. Clearly their original personalities are intact, unless you're Donnie, I think. Although there was something about him being bullied or something like that that they sort of brought in a little bit but didn't really it was also wooly which was the problem I just didn't really understand what was going on you're not parents to these things you are responsible for them yes 
you've helped bring them into this world and you've helped them be a part of it. And then you've got the whole Nora. There's so many Noras in this show. But you've got the Nora Speed Force. What was it? Bart called her Speed Force grandmother or whatever. Nana Speed Force? Speed Force Nana, I think it was. Yeah, SFN, I think it was the Something like that. Anyway, quite like that side of it. So you had Nora turning up and Barry being uneasy around her because she looks like his mother, which, yeah, cool. And then Iris invites her to go live with him. And Barry's like, I don't really like this. And then she starts mooching around at his Mm -hmm. work and stuff, just trying to help out. And you had that whole awkward sitcom-y side of it where it's like, I'm just trying to help. No, you're really not helping. Just back off. And then I'm evil now. Oh, no, I'm not evil now. I'm going to take all the forces and leave you alone for a bit. And now I'll be back in the finale to power you up for some reason. Because we had we needed a CGI heavy set piece of every speedster using lightning in different ways. Yeah, but none of the explanations have any weight because it started with we're parents to these things. Well, it didn't really start with that. It started with the mystery angle of what these things are. Then it started with the possession angle, responsibility angle. Then it went to the whole parental angle which didn't make any sense. It was just so Joe could give a speech about you have to try and understand your kids rather than tell them what to do or something like that. But Joe, they're not our kids. They Mm. are adults who are possessed by elemental forces. Mm. (laughs) This advice does not apply. I'm not going to go up to this woman who is the same age as me and start treating her like a child. (laughs) Although the image of that is quite amusing. It's almost like in Lucifer, isn't it, when Trisha Helfer was playing his mother? Yes. And they're pretty close in age, but you've got that mother-son dynamic that's just odd because of how physically similar they are in age. I don't know how close they were in age, but they were closer than a mother and son should be anyway. Certainly close enough to make it weird. Yeah, they leaned into it, didn't they? And it was exactly that which the humour of the situation was derived. Yeah, whereas here it was just, we're your parents, we're responsible for bringing you guys into the world, even though you actually have parents that may still be alive. Maybe not in Alexa's case, I don't know. They never tell you, but you're all adults of a similar age to we are, who have had lives before this happened. Yeah, we're responsible for this force possessing you. We don't know why it decided on you, but it did. And I'm sorry, we can't get it out of you. That's your angle. It's not that we're your parents. We have to work as a family to defeat the Speed Force, who is just wearing eyeshadow and is now on the wrong path. Yeah, because we all know the dark eye makeup signifies malevolence. Yes, of course, always. Again, I really like the idea of Barry being in opposition to the thing that gives him his power. Like, What do you do with that? How do you defeat that? Can you defeat that? Should you defeat that? Because if he isn't acting in a way that this sentient force of nature that gives him superpowers actually approves of, how is that going to affect him? Does it mean that he's on the wrong path? Has he been using his powers for the wrong reason? Has this force got some other expectations of him that he isn't going to agree with, which will cause even more problems down the line? Some of the ideas that were just ignored. Yeah, and it's the, in order to win this, you might have to lose everything side of it as well. Because in a way, the speed force is more of a parent to... Barry than he is to these other forces because she, we'll just call her she because that's the embodiment, isn't it? She gives him his power. She controls how much power he has. I mean, she even references that at some point. She even talks about, I'm the source of your power. And when she threatens Iris, it's, you may be his lightning rod, I'm the lightning. Uh, Again, it's a cheesy line. I feel sick every time they mention the whole lightning rod thing. But at the same time, that feeds into that. I like that whole, well... You're important in his life, but I give him who he is. At least from her perspective, that's really interesting. I don't think they even have that conversation about if we win this, I'm screwed. I don't have any powers. 
can we destroy this thing? I mean, we did before, I suppose. Yes, and then we brought it back to life, which may have been a mistake. So do we just go back to what we did prior to its resurrection? It's crazy. It didn't make any sense because the nature of what that plot was kept changing. And then they just kept forgetting about things associated with it. It really bothered me about the whole, we're all just going to live in the Speed Force quite happily. But you're people. You should have lives and connections that mean something to you as people. And which is it? Is it the force or is it the person? Are they two separate entities? Clearly in the case of Fuerza, it is. There was a dissociative personality thing there. It's the Hulk and Bruce Banner. Whereas the other two seem to have been more merged. Maybe a symbiotic thing? Or maybe just more of a addition to an existing personality? Again, it wasn't clear. And the very fact that that aspect of it wasn't thought through or really even even brought up in any way, the direction that they were dealing with these people and forces just kept on changing, it ultimately meant that to finish off that plotline, they could just come up with any old crap, because they just seemed to have been making it up as, as it went along, without any effort to maintain consistency in what they were trying to say. And then it just culminated in another messy action-driven finale where nothing made any sense. Yep. And then there was a third action-driven finale where nothing made any sense. It's weird because after the Forces plot, they just lingered about for a bit doing not very much. There was no indication of what an arc was and then Godspeed just shows up out of nowhere. Turns out there's a bunch of duplicate Godspeeds which we all knew about. There was a mystery associated with who was controlling or creating those Godspeeds, which we all assumed to be Thon, to be honest. I think we talked about that last season. And it turns out it was Godspeed creating the clones of himself, but also he was living in the present day with no memory of the fact that he was doing that. And the two Godspeed factions were fighting each other over the fact that they wanted power. And which of them was going to be the ultimate Godspeed and gain all the power and become the actual God of Speed. And to be honest, I've always found the notion of godspeed and character if you can even call it that to be <laughs> really really boring actually because what the other speedster antagonists like thorn and zoom and Savitar, they're characters who have actual goals and things that they're working towards and whose actions ultimately make sense if only to them but with godspeed it felt like they're just there and they're behaving more like wild animals than actual people and so to have an entire arc just built around the constant presence of them was to me just so tedious and I couldn't wait for it to be over really because I just (laughs) didn't care and the the problem was as well is there was clearly a lot of urgency because the dialogue told you but there was also no urgency it's well this godspeed war is really hotting up out there it's crazy it's like that's why you're all hanging around the cortex apparently (laughs) that's why you're all just standing around because it's so tough out there and it's just oh the godspeeds did this or they went and did this then you had this bit where they disappear for a bit and then you've got some time to catch your breath before they come back and whatever i mean all that actually adds up to we know we do have time to stand around and discuss it because we know they disappear for a while because they have to go back to the speed force to recharge or something whatever it was so that's fine you've got your built-in stop points there but it's like oh there's a bunch of godspeeds that are attacking somewhere downtown it's like yeah we're not gonna go it's fine (laughs) or we'll send Cisco in his weird mecha suit, which we'll get to. Mm -hmm. So it was so weird how lacking in urgency it was and how everybody was just standing around acting like it was really no big deal despite talking about how big a deal it was. And it takes Diggle showing up to be like, come on, guys, 
Get on with it. Let's do something here. I've brought some equipment that might help. Why are you just standing around? Deal with this. This is literally what you do. I've brought a thing that can catch them. Cisco gave me this thing. Is this what Diggle does now? Is he just a delivery <laughs> guy? <laughs> at least in his Batwoman episode. Okay, it was a bit random for him to just turn up at this opportune moment when he did. But he was also there of his own volition, dealing with something in his own life, rather than just undertaking like some mundane task for somebody else to to give him an, an excuse to stride off the main set at a dramatically judicious juncture. Yeah, although I think of all the appearances, we'll be able to talk about some of the lesser appearances when we talk about Legends and Superman later. When those shows finish, I think this was his best appearance because it used him the best, because he just joined the team for an episode, not even an episode, for some of an episode. And then she left before they actually did anything. You think John Diggle would be like, I'm going to stick around till this Godspeed crisis is over because you need all the hands on deck that you can get. And he put on his helmet and he's like out there with Barry and he had the thing and he gave Barry the advice about kids and family and what they were fighting for and all that good stuff. I think the use of Diggle in the episode was what you would expect from him. And I think he was really good at getting people back on task. If there's anyone that should be telling Barry he's an idiot, it's Diggle. Yeah, because he did spend the best part of a decade telling Oliver when he was being an idiot. So he should have those speeches down to a fine art now. I really like how Chester was like, oh, it's Diggle, it's Tron Diggle. Yeah. <laughs> OG T-Marrow or whatever. He's just fanboying over him. And yeah, cool. He's earned that. He has suitably earned that position, for sure. Yeah, and it also just emphasises even more just what an absolute nerd Chester is, and that seems to definitely be taking the place of Cisco as a team nerd. Yeah, it was quite funny how... Diggle was the one referencing some of the problems we have for the show. Wow, all the powers seem to have been levelling up around here. Like, yeah, no kidding. Shame they're not using them. It is always a little bit shaky when a show runs the risk of breaking the fourth wall with regards to how little a certain plotline actually makes sense and actually drawing viewers' attention to it. Yeah, it was good having Diggle back, albeit briefly, and he disappeared before the end of the episode. And did you actually hear or read about what the dialogue was when Cecile listened to the stuff that was invading his brain when he was having his headaches. If I did, I've already forgotten. It was things like references to New Worlds and all that stuff. So it does seem to point in the direction of Green Lantern, but it doesn't seem like we're going to get that with him, at least anytime soon. Which is a little bit frustrating, because the whole Diggle is, is going to become Green Lantern. It's been around for years, even before they started playing with it within the shows themselves. But to keep on teasing references to something which isn't going to happen. It just feels disingenuous to me. It's like, it's like a constant reminder that the payoff of all, all this hope and expectation isn't ever actually going to materialise. The first reference was when 90s Flash said, John, where's yeah. your ring? And then in Arrow, they introduced his stepdad, who was General Stewart. Exactly. So he's John Diggle Stewart. Or maybe his legal name is John Stewart. I don't know. So he has that association. So he is John Stewart. He's the Arrowverse version of John Stewart, which means... Green Lantern. And it did seem like they were planning to, or at least sowing the seeds for introducing Green Lantern at some point, because you had, in the first season, the Ferris airfield that closed because a test pilot disappeared. Was it in Arrow in a flashback? They had Hal's dad's jacket that had Jordan written on it. Yeah, there was a blink little miss shot of the guy with Jordan on his jacket just getting up from a bar. I think it was a mannequin, maybe. I'm not sure. It, it, there was definitely a jacket. Yeah. It was in one of the seasons of Oliver not being on the island, island flashbacks. I think at that point it was more just random references to the DC world at large they'd never really intended to do anything with. Yeah. In the episode itself, it's actually very jarring because if you're only watching The Flash and you'll be aware of Diggle maybe through the crossovers, or if you've only watched Arrow and The Flash or whatever configuration that you 
consume this universe in. In this episode, you have Diggle show up. He gets floored by really weird headaches on at least two occasions. And then it gets to a point in the episode where he's like, I'm off to get this looked at. And then you never hear another word about it ever again. It also doesn't make any sense because Barry's like, cool, off you go. Good luck. Not, we'll get Caitlin to have a look at you. Exactly, who is a quite talented doctor, if yeah. you remember, <laughs> which she occasionally still does. Does that mean the Flash appearance is set before the Batwoman appearance then? I honestly didn't think about it that much. You'd have to guess so because he is in Gotham because something ain't right. So I suppose it makes sense if the Batwoman appearance is after the Flash appearance. But yeah, it doesn't really matter. It's just such a weird thing because it's something that's addressed in the episode and then never resolved. Which I suppose if you're watching The Flash, you must be used to by now. That's true. That does actually bring up a a larger issue with the Arrowverse in general. There seems to be a bit too much assumption that everybody watches all of the shows and intimately understands how they all interlink, which is just not the case. But for them to keep carrying on as if they do, it just doesn't lead to anything but more confusion for people. Yeah, which is fine for us because we do watch them all, but for others, not quite so much. But at the same time, you have to make a decision one way or the other. The Marvel Cinematic Universe has to do that too. Do you assume that people already know what you're talking about or do you waste time explaining it again and again and again every time it becomes relevant? That's true. I don't know what the answer is. I'm happy with it because I watch them all. So don't tell me things I already know. I'm fine with that. I'm okay with not having to have things re-explained over and over again. But I guess it depends on who you are as a viewer, I suppose. But it was just a weird thing to bring up and then Barry to just allow it to drop. And it was only allowed to drop because we're not going to answer the question in this show consciously. We're just not going to do that. Whereas before, it would have been a point of answering it. It would have been a major part of the episode. Even if it were just something brought up right at the episode's end, where it revealed that while everybody else was off battling villains and Diggle had been in the medbay with Caitlin running tests on him, and then either establish what the problem is or, or figure out what further work needs to be done to figure it out. But in this case, it was just brought up and then dropped, which is just absolutely jarring. Yeah, it's really weird. But back to the Godspeed War, because... Diggle's contribution is significant, but it's not massively significant. What I did find quite interesting, and it was what I thought they were trying to do, was the the August Hart thing. So he has no memory. And then the fact that he's afraid of getting his memory back in case he's a bad person. They were really setting up this whole internal conflict over him without his memory, wanting to be a good person versus having his memory and not being a good person. But it doesn't go anywhere. They spend a lot of time with Cecile saying, don't worry, you'll do the right thing or whatever she says. And then he gets his memory back and he's just a cackling villain again. I thought the actor was great and I thought when he played full strength Godspeed, I thought he was amazing. In that head trip that Barry takes, by the way, this show heavily relies on people going into other people's heads. It happens all the time. It happens, what, twice in this season? At least. This is a bit where Barry's in Cecile's head. It's so commonplace. He's like, all oh, right, I'm in another one of these. Okay, so you need to realise something for us to get out of here. It's good that you remember that. It's good that you're aware of that this keeps happening. Because if you'd been like, what's going on here? Why can't I open this door? Where are my powers? It's, he is immediately like, okay, we're in your head. Fine. Because we do this all the time. And I had to laugh when it was just, okay, so we're going to send you into August Hart's head so you can talk to the real him. It's like, why? Why is this necessary? I did quite like how... When he encountered the real heart, or original heart, if you like, it was done so in the form of a throne room. Yeah, that was good. Because that's just so representative of how he perceives himself as this absolute ruler that everybody else should just bow down to. Yeah, and then there was that, give me organic speed and I will leave. 
which was a really simple ultimatum. And then really, really overcomplicated in how it was all executed. Yeah. We're not giving you organic speed, it's out of the question. And then Nora's like, but Bart's in a coma for the next minute or two. So you have to, because it's too dangerous having this guy running around. And then eventually he's like, we're going to give him organic speed, but with a twist. Not still not quite sure what that twist is, but they did it. And it's so weird. And I kind of thought they were trying to go back to that whole point of the inorganic speed is what drove Barry nuts. So it's what drove August nuts. And that's where you get the better nature of them coming out. But they just forgot about it. I mean, I understand that they don't want to defeat every villain by appealing to their better nature because it turns out all these people are just good people, but they're really misguided. Can't do that every time. But at the same time, don't set it up if you're not going to do that. Exactly. It just ends up looking like you have neglected to pick up on a really, really basic facet of the story that you just told. Yeah, because the better nature just gets suppressed and is never mentioned again. Well, I guess he's a villain now. It's a shame that that good guy that we forced into doing this is now a bad guy. There wasn't even any discussion of whether or not he might still exist somewhere within the villain Hart's mind and could be brought out again. Because if Hart, without his memories, is this inherently decent person who wants to do the right thing, then it stands to reason that that potential still lies within him and could be brought out again. But it wasn't even considered or even mentioned. And they set up Cecile being the one to do that, but she didn't. So weird. Instead, what you get is this heavily convoluted finale that I'm still trying to figure out. So it's that whole, the twist is we're going to bring Thon back. I wasn't aware that he was dead and needed brought back. When did that happen? To be honest, I have stopped bothering to try to keep track of the current status of Thon. The last time we saw him, he said, see you next crisis, and then he ran away. Exactly. With their intention at the time to have him as a part of crisis on the infinite earths and was also even actually foreshadowed in that newspaper report also hanging around in the gideon room the whole like, flash disappears in crisis but if you actually pause it and read it it actually talks about characters like the flash and green arrow and white canary all battling reverse flash yeah and then as it goes on supergirl gets added to the article yeah. and whatever else it just changes slightly every time so it always seemed like that was the intention but when it came down to it they changed their mind or couldn't figure out how to bring him into it thon possessing nash that was after that, wasn't it? So he was a weird Speed Force ghost or something. He was some kind of remnant of the multiverse, which was destroyed in Crisis, but wasn't really. But everybody thinks it was, and they're now acting like it always was. And sometimes it isn't there, depending on the plot, but it sometimes still is. When they want to reference, reference it's still existing. Yeah, but they brought him back. I'd almost forgotten about that, but I suppose that's when he was quote-unquote killed. Yeah, because there was such a big thing made about Nash being the only Wells left. Like I think of Cisco saying all, 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 the, all the amazing iterations of Wells that had been out there, and we're stuck with you. So, okay, they decide to bring Thon back, which I have issues with for so many reasons, but you have this whole Nora needs to... Nora Speed Force, Speed Force Nana, has to anchor herself to Iris for some reason to bring him back. They bring him back because they need muscle to help fight Godspeed. I never got the impression Godspeed was that powerful. Me neither. And needed that kind of help, but okay. So they bring that back. And then Thon works with Barry to fight Godspeed. Stabs him, but doesn't kill him. Yeah, I did not get that at all, because if... Thorn has proved to be anything over the entire series. It's that he's a remorseless psychopath who will potentially irrationally kill people at a moment's notice. And then Barry defeats him by being like, well, I'm way faster than you, so you can't even touch me. And Thorn's like, I'll get better, and then runs off. And then you have this whole weird bit where Barry has to explain what the plan was, which 
makes even less sense when he explains it. We brought him back and I knew he would turn on me at the first possible opportunity and I was ready for it. What? Were you you prepared for him to stab Godspeed but not kill him? Because that's really out of character. How did you know that would happen? And then Thawne's still out there, but that's future Uzzy's problem. Okay, so you're just not going to take any responsibility for the countless people he's going to kill or whatever havoc he wreaks. You're just not going to worry about that. That's not your problem. It's just... Yeah, okay, we'll deal with it later. No, you should have a lot of remorse here. And if this was your only option, you should be remorseful of that. You should be like, well, that's horrible, but more people would die if we didn't do this or whatever. I didn't buy into the urgency of the situation. But at the same time, the fact that Barry's like, yeah, whatever, we'll deal with it later, which is just strange. It's just such a weird reaction. Yeah, just so blasé about the fact that he effectively resurrected his nemesis and then just doesn't care about the consequences of doing so. And I don't think they'll be brought up next time either. I don't think Thon will, even though he should, will taunt him with, I just killed a guy and that's kind of your fault, Barry. So, yeah, yeah. exactly, because well that's done. exactly the kind of thing that he would do. Should be, but I don't think it will. I don't think it'll be a thing. I suspect that the only time that we'll actually see him again is if it will have some direct significance to the plot at that immediate point. Yeah, although I will say... Some of the action was quite well done. The lightning lightsabers that they made. That was pretty cool, yes. Even though they were so stupid. Because Godspeed makes one, fine. He has that ability somehow. He knows that. Then Barry and Thon make them. But previous seasons would have an entire episode where Barry has to learn how to do this. Exactly. Being able to manipulate lightning was something that he needed to painstakingly learn. And since then hasn't really done much to develop the ability, and to suddenly just quite literally pull a lightning sword out of thin air is not something that it makes sense for him to be able to do. And it doesn't make sense in an execution aspect either, because I'm thinking back to when Zoom caught a lightning bolt out of the air and threw it back at him. He was able to do so because he was moving so much faster than it. So what they should have been doing in order to wield those lightning lightsabers is be moving faster than the lightning they've generated so that it stands still. But they weren't. They were just moving at normal speed. So that annoyed me. Yep. Probably shouldn't have, but it annoyed me. It was one of those things, it looks cool, but it was incredibly stupid. But it wouldn't have taken anything for them to be like, these people are moving really fast. Because it wouldn't really have changed the sequence in any way. Not at all. It's just an ability that Barry has now and probably will never use again. Sounds about right. Unless he's fighting Thon, which I imagine he will. Thon is so much slower than he is, but knows how to do this as well. Yeah, again, because that's what the sequence required him to be able to do because they decided that was how it was going to play out. I don't know if you've seen the person on YouTube that cut it to Jewel of the Fates. I have not, but I will be immediately looking that up as soon as we finish recording. Link in the show notes, don't worry. (laughs) It's amazing. It's one of those things where I was watching it, I was like, this makes absolutely no sense, but I'm absolutely loving this sequence. It was the same with Nora's lightning whip, Bart's lightning shurikens, Iris doing anything. (laughs) Speed. Those were quite entertaining. I liked Jay's pinball with his helmet. I did, I did like that, yeah. Also, Jay now lives on Earth Prime. Yeah, I was wondering if I'd missed something somewhere or forgotten something. No, no, it's just never been referenced before. It's just he lives here now. Even though he's a doppelganger of Henry Allen, who's native to Earth Prime because he's Barry's dad. Yeah, I think it's got to the point where it's too convoluted to actually try to explain it anymore. Yeah, so you've got doppelgangers of Barry's mum and dad on Earth Prime, <laughs> even though his parents lived on Earth Prime. They're just there. It's so weird. And Jay gets all his speed back and whatever else. 
We'll get to see him in Stargirl, though, possibly with a better costume. Or something very, very cheesy and Golden Age. Well, we've seen his costume in Stargirl, haven't we? Like in a picture or something, or is it hanging up in the Hall of Justice? Or where? Yeah, there was a picture of the whole original JSA, which Flash was a part of, but it doesn't necessarily follow that they'll be following that exactly, though. No, probably not, but I think his costume would be better than it is here, because it's, it's just kind of dumb. It always has been. Just like jeans and a leather jacket. And it's that weird half-assed symbol that he has on his leather jacket as well. And those boots, those dumb little boots. Yeah, it's just weird, but he's there too. It's very strange. So yeah, the Godspeed War resolves itself. They've imprisoned Godspeed somewhere. That's a thing that's happened. Although I did find it refreshing that the finale ended without suggesting what's going to happen next season for a change. It just ended on a happy note, which I found quite refreshing. And because of that, it actually almost felt like an actual full series ending. Just because we've become so used to these constant teasers and cliffhangers and foreshadowing, to actually have a definitive ending that doesn't feature anything like that actually feels like there isn't anything going to come after it. Yeah, which is strange. But I think it works really well because I think this show is at its best when it lets the characters have room to just be around one another. Because we've criticised it in the past about how they've stopped doing this. You know, in Supergirl, they still go at the bar, do some karaoke or whatever, Mm. now and again. Whereas in Flash, it's always the next problem, the next problem, the next problem. And giving them time to just be around each other and just enjoying each other's company is very good. Exactly, because there's just so much time spent on the requirements of them being heroes. There's just very little opportunity to see them as just people. And it ties into the whole family dynamic, the importance of compassion and love and all that stuff. And good time to talk about Iris now, her greater fixation on her family and her personal legacy in this season. It comes up a few times. I don't think they do an awful lot with it. And I don't think they do an awful lot with Iris after the initial stuff. You have that bit where they're trying for a baby and it's so weird that they're dancing around talking about it like they're teenagers. I don't think Iris does a terrible lot over the course of the season. It's weird that she disappears in the last few episodes where they act like she's not feeling well and she's in bed and then suddenly she's in the Speed Force and then suddenly she's out of the Speed Force because it's now figured out a way to stop her from being ill or whatever was wrong with her. These moments of Barry calling to her off screen where she's clearly not there. Or phoning her. It's just surreal watching that. Are we really meant to buy this? If she was meant to be in the scene, then she would be there. There's no real reason for her to not be seen on screen. And it just made all the moments just seem so bizarre. I was okay with the fact that she's under the weather and therefore can't be around. And I don't know whether the actress had some other commitment that they had to free her up for. Whether it's COVID situation, we can't just have less many people on screen at any given time. Or I don't know. I don't know what the out-of-universe reason for her being absent for so long was. It probably was one, because there usually is. It's one of those, this is a bit weird and jarring. There's probably something going on here. It's like when Joe was sitting down in every scene he was in before he went off on medical leave because the actor had hurt his back. Yeah, I assume that there was some reason like that for it. It was just that within the context of the show itself, it just seemed to make no sense. Yeah, it was very strange. They went from she's under the weather to she's now in the speed force because she needs to be maintained by Donnie for some reason. What happened? Where did this come from? Again, I thought I missed something or I wasn't paying attention enough. I was just kind of feeling like, okay, I'm going to need to just go with this now. And maybe afterwards just look back to try and figure out what it was I missed. And then it was that I'm fixed now. And none of those milestones had any weight to them because... None of them meant anything. None of them created any problems that needed to be solved. And none of the problems were solved. It was just, 
this is it now. This is our status quo now. I had to be in the Speed Force until recently. Now I don't. Now I'm around. Which is better because she gets to spend time with her kids. Fine. But why do it in the first place? Yeah. It just seemed like it was overcomplicating something that really didn't need to be at all. I think they wanted to bring in this whole Barry feels isolated because Iris isn't there and she's unreachable at this point. But then she just reappears and he doesn't have to do anything to facilitate that. So therefore, what's the point? Yeah, which is kind of a sentiment I've been applying to quite a lot this season. What's the point? Yeah. It's a good natural point to come into Frost, actually, because the same thing <laughs> happens there. So they separated her from Caitlin, which we said last season is the next logical step. We now have two of them. And I think that Daniel Panabaker did some really great stuff with playing two distinct characters in the same scene. She did it a lot. And self-plug, I spoke to the director of the trial episode earlier this year. He talked about filming those and how she would just be exhausted after a day, after pulling double duty on the show in that way. And I think she did amazingly because... You can't tell that they're not the same person. Yeah, it it was all filmed really, really well. And performed very well. Yeah, that too. Quite often in situations like this, when a character is doing double duty, and when they're playing one character against a stand-in, I don't know, with the same costume and hairstyle, it often becomes really, really obvious that it isn't the same person who's being talked to. Obviously, it's not the same because it's the same actor playing both of them. But more often not, you come aware of the artifice behind it. But in this case, the way that it was all done, that you were actually able to forget the camera trickery that would be necessary to pull this off. And it really did feel like the two different characters talking to each other, despite knowing that they're being played by the same person, and it would have all been filmed separately. And I think that Daniel Panabecker pulled it off excellently. And also the way that she performs the two characters, they aren't just variations of each other. They're two distinct individuals. They're two entirely different people. And the fact that the show never loses sight of this is actually one of the few good things I've actually got to say about it. Yeah, and I liked what they were doing with Frost at first, as in the whole, I'm now have a life full time, I need to figure out what to do with it. And then there was that taking responsibility for her villainous deeds in the past. I was actually okay with the fact that they were just going to forget about it because how often do they do that with villainous characters that reform in some way? Exactly. They just kind of forget about their checkered past. Sometimes really, really quickly as well. In the episode when Abracadabra came back and then was killed by Forza, it's coming from Barry about how he died a hero. Yeah, well, I'm sure that'll be... Great consolation to the family of the security guard he murdered so recently that his family might not even know yet. Or Pied Piper when he had a change of heart last Mm. season. There's another one. There's numerous examples across the Arrowverse of characters that just reform and join the team or temporarily team up with them and then they just get to slink off and be like, well, you did this one good thing, so we're going to trust you from now on. But the fact that they made a story out of Frost taking responsibility for her actions and then facing the music as well in that trial. But the problem is that we're bringing up issues that the show is not equipped to cover in the detail it needs to. So this whole thing about metahuman rights, or metahumans victims, should they get to keep their powers? Should they have that choice taken from them? Because one of the conditions is Frost can go free if she gives up her powers, but her powers are part of who she is. It's in the name. And then she takes the fall because she doesn't want to set a precedent for other metahumans to be tried and convicted in the same way. That was all great stuff. I don't think they cover it in as much detail as they need to. And then she goes to prison, which seems like a big deal, but it's a couple of episodes later, she's out, she's pardoned because she helped people during the breakout or something like that. It was hand-waved away so quickly. So it didn't amount to anything. And I actually thought that's what they were going to do. They were going to maybe have a prison subplot with Frost 
where she doesn't need to interact with the rest of the cast. Meanwhile, Caitlin can hang around Team Flash and you have them both present in the show, but you don't have them interact necessarily. I was quite surprised how quickly that whole thing was resolved. Were you surprised though? Were you? Disappointed, shall we say. And especially when there was such a big thing about it being made that this is going to be a permanent thing. Frost is going to go to jail and there is no chance of her getting out under any circumstances. Which is why the very fact that she voluntarily chose to do that to save other metahumans from having the cure forced on them was such a big deal. And then to just completely wipe that away as if it never happened. It was just a waste of something that could have actually had such long-lasting repercussions and that they could have actually done something significant and meaningful with, but just couldn't be bothered. Because, to be honest, I was a bit disappointed about the idea of her going to prison, because I do really like Frost as a character. I think she's brilliant. Well, now that they've actually established who she is properly after kind of winging it for the first while. And I had seen that as her effectively being written out of the show, and we were hardly ever going to see her again. But I was prepared to accept that precisely because of it being such a noble decision that would have caused her to, to disappear. But then as with so many other things, they just made a snap decision to make it meaningless. It was just so weird. And they did touch on all those issues that I was talking about, the issues of consent, the issues of the entitlement to having their powers, whether metahumans are victims of circumstance or whether the powers are part of who they are. It's the same argument you get in X-Men, isn't it? In fact, it's brought up in the first X-Men film towards the beginning, where Jean Grey talks about licensing people to live. They are talking about licensing people to have powers. That does get brought up, doesn't it? I think so, yeah. Or some kind of registration anyway. It's been, it's been a while since I've watched them. I mean more in, in this show. All right, yes, it, it, it does, yeah. And then in X-Men, Jean Grey makes the argument of, well, it's one of the senators says, we license people to drive, but not to live, is Jean Grey's response to that. And that completely adds up. Metahumans are like anybody else that has something. And whether you consider it to be like an illness, whether you consider it to be like an enhancement, whether you consider it to be whatever, there'll be a mixed bag on how some people regard their power. Some people will feel cursed. Some people will feel blessed. Some people will just feel like, well, this is just something I can do. In the same way that anybody has a talent, nobody should be licensed to have a talent or have an illness or have an enhancement of some sort, especially when they never chose to have it. You get metahumans who choose to use their abilities for wrong and for crime and whatever else, but that's not all of them. Most of them, because otherwise we wouldn't have a TV show, but it ain't all of them. They were getting into that, but there wasn't enough time to cover it in any real detail. It's the headlines of the issue. It's what they bring up without the meat and the detail of the issue, so you don't cover it in any way. But it was that powerful moment of when she was dragged off where she said, I'm not taking the cure. And it was, what's his name? The guy with the snake eye whatever his name is. He was like, thank you. Yeah, I forgot what it's called. Who's there all the time. Norvok, is it? Maybe. I think it is. He's there all the time, but we know almost nothing about him. He's just there all the time. But yes, there's that. And then she takes the fall for that. And instead of letting herself be an example, she makes it more difficult for Kramer, for instance, to get what she wants. Yes, and the thing is, that was largely the reason that Kramer was even brought into the show in the first place. It ended up seeming like a whole hell of a lot of nothing for her, certainly. Yeah, and I liked the early stuff when they were separated, where Caitlin was like, right, we need to find a way to recombine us. I don't want this to persist. Y'all knew where it was going to go, where Frost was like, actually, nah, I want to stay this way. 
And I like the fact that Caitlin feels like she's missing a part of herself and that Frost feels like she's gained a part of herself. Exactly, because even though Frost is effectively a separate entity, being someone who effectively exists within Caitlin, and for her it must have felt like her very identity, her very existence was defined by somebody else. And then to find herself with her own physical form, it would have been freeing. Well, they were sisters, that's the relationship they settled into. But there was also a bit of a Siamese twin aspect to it in a way although curiously that's not something they chose to pick up on and you could have really told a story about what happens to Siamese twins after they're separated even if they wanted to be separated is there that phantom pain in a way I don't know I don't know the answer to that question but it was something they could have covered I would imagine that at least one person would have brought up uh, at least the possibility of it Though I'd imagine it would have been ultimately decided that there wasn't any room to explore it, so they just didn't bother bringing it up at all. Yeah, because beyond that, they didn't really do anything with Caitlin this season. It seemed like they had run out of ideas of what to do with her, really. So she became somebody who was just kind of there. She does the medical tests, and that's about it. It's a shame. But what they did with Frost was really good. Apart from the stupid love story they brought in. The adolescent crush, as I put in the notes, because that's what it was. And I do understand this whole idea of Frost as new in a way well she's been there all of caitlin's life but she only awakened a couple of years ago it was in season three she started to emerge wasn't it I think so yeah yeah it was post flashpoint another continuity shifting thing that gave birth to frost but she's been there the whole time and i guess never really had a voice until season three when in season three she was just treated as caitlin's dark side really and then she gained her own personality later on. Which at the time was a little frustrating, because it seemed like they really hadn't settled on what they were doing with Frost, or rather Killer Frost at that point. Killer Frost, but she's never killed anyone. <laughs> and so they kept changing their minds about how she can develop. Because at one point she was, like you said, Caitlin's dark side manifesting, and it was Caitlin having metahuman powers that were affecting how she thinks and acts. And then she isn't nothing better or don't matter about her, but she's this entity who has existed within Caitlin for her whole life, but has never materialised until now. And then, oh, actually, no, she does have metahuman powers, so it cannot be affected by like anything that affects metahumans and the very fact that it was so clear that they were making up as they went along it it just got frustrating after a while yeah well the whole point was that she was the one that could fight cicada with powers because his dagger didn't work on her and then suddenly the cure will now work on frost doesn't make any sense crisis yeah (laughs) i really liked when they addressed that frost is only brought out when they need muscle that was the relationship they enjoyed for a while or not enjoyed, but Caitlin, she made that wrong assumption that I only need to bring Frost out to deal with whatever the villain of the week is. And then Frost talking about how she was sick of that and she wanted to actually just have a life. And Caitlin was like, oh no, yeah, fair point. I'm going to hide for a few weeks and let you just do something. And then she has to learn how to be a person. And now she has to learn how to be a full-time person. And it's things like she meets a guy she has a crush on, but she's never done that before. It is adolescent. It's very childlike the way she reacts to it. She doesn't know what to do with these feelings because she's never had them. The problem is, the execution of it was also very juvenile. <laughs> yes. They're pushing each other in the playground. That's what it was, wasn't it? Even though it was pretty obvious where they were planning to take it from where this guy was introduced, because there really wouldn't be any other reason for her to have some significant interaction with the hot guy that turned old snarky. But it just felt like another idea that they really didn't know how to properly develop, so just kind of dropped it in to see where it would go. And it turned out that where it went wasn't anywhere satisfying yeah and they had that whole thing about they brought him in to help with the godspeed situation 
and then he betrayed them or something and then left and she was upset about that and then you had that bit where it's I've been pardoned too I've reformed because I snitched on my criminal friends or whatever but then he still does villain stuff and Frost is all annoyed because she wants him to be a good guy so that she can crush on him or whatever but I do quite like the idea of she's besotted over this villain and doesn't know what to do about that I think it's playing on the notion of women finding bad boys really hot but as you mentioned because it's something that Frost hasn't actually dealt with previously then she doesn't know how to react to it so she doesn't know how she's supposed to be feeling or what the correct way of responding to these feelings are but because it was just kind of brought up and dropped in so quickly and without much development it felt like more of an afterthought than anything else yeah it's just as I say a juvenile thing where they didn't really commit to anything so it just became one of those things it was played for laughs and it was never funny and I think the handling of relationship stuff in the flash in general is quite juvenile because the Barry Iris wanting to have children they're adults the fact that they can't admit to their friends we are trying for a baby and so because we're trying for a baby and we have started having sex absolutely everywhere because comedy reasons if you're in a relationship and you make that decision to take that huge step forward in your life then it's not something that you actually kind of sneak around while you're doing it it's something that you would talk to your friends about because you'd be excited at the prospect of it or not i suppose you don't have to talk about it no you don't have to but it's quite likely that you would want to because it's something that you'd be excited about and want to share with them unless it's the in case this doesn't go the way we want it to we might keep it to ourselves but then when they're literally caught, as happens with Chester, and it's he can't talk about it and Barry can't talk about it, but all it takes is, guys, we're trying for a baby. We'll be more discreet in the future. And also, you have super speed Barry. You didn't have to just appear in front of Chester. You could have been a million miles away. You don't have to be sneaking off to the basement or wherever. You can sneak off anywhere. You're a speedster. But then we couldn't have that awkward adolescent joking about it. It's just so weird the way it's handled. I think that they generally do relationship stuff bad. I do think the best potentially romantic connection that they did in this season, it's not there yet and it might not go there, is Chester and Allegra because that does feel natural in the way that they're dancing around each other and the way that Allegra's seeing merit to him, even though he's not her type, that kind of stuff. I don't know if that's where they're going with it, but it seems like it is. There was certainly the potential there. Well, I took it more as them kind of figuring each other out and deciding what it is that they do actually feel about each other. So they're giving it that potential to take it somewhere in the future if they make that decision. But then if they change their minds, it, it wouldn't seem too jarring to just drop it. Yeah, it was simple little things that I found quite interesting about it. Well, she called him Chuck, but when he helped her out, she called him Chester. And then she dismissed the Dungeons and Dragons thing, but then she was like, I'll have a go. I want to play that with you. It's just little things like that where it show her warming up to him. And it could be as a friend, but there did seem to be a bit of a romantic aspect to it, which may have been an interpretation on the actor's part of something that they're not intending to do, or maybe it is just a put the seed in and then if it goes nowhere, it goes nowhere. I don't know. But it did seem to be the most, I suppose, the most subtly handled one. Not that there's a lot of romantic connections in the show, Unless you count Cisco and Camilla, which I don't. Yeah, Chester and Allegra, they were quite good together whenever they shared a scene. Yeah, and they certainly seem to be finding their place in Team Flash as well. Is They're not so much outliers who who just end up drafting in out of necessity because they had nowhere else to go. But they're, they're actually becoming fully functional members who have specific skills and, and knowledge and, and, and purpose that they can bring to the table each time. Yeah, in the case of Chester, there was a real... 
risk of him just being the new Cisco. Absolutely, yeah. Because he's a tech guy who's a nerd. But his nerdiness is different, as in the references he makes is different. He talks about Doctor Who a lot, for example, which Cisco doesn't. I mean, that's not enough to make him unique in of itself. But it's a start. It's something. And his approach is different as well. And I really like the whole him not feeling worthy of being on the team and him trying to prove himself. Like when Barry yells at him, because he will just do that because he's a dick sometimes. But when Barry yells at him when he makes a mistake, and after that he takes that as, I can't be doing this job. I just can't be doing it. And is it Caitlin that gives him the confidence to be like, we're all rooting for you here? I think was, yeah, because her basically telling him, you don't need to be Cisco, you need to be Chester. This is your lab. Decorate it any way you like. You want just a second-tier replacement. You're someone who serves to feel a part of the team. And of course, Cisco does actually pass the torch to him, so he has the faith. And they earn that as well through their trip to the 90s, which was reasonably endearing. Although I don't think the 90s has the relevant glut of iconography that they really needed to sell that episode on. No, I will absolutely wrap up any kind of nostalgia for the 90s, because it's basically when I grew up. But aside from the obligatory references it wasn't quite as significant an invocation as I seem to think it was. It's not as obviously iconic as say the 80s or the 70s or the 60s. The 90s you have to really dig in to find something that just stands out in a visual way. The way I've often described it is with the media of the 90s certainly with there just being a complete and utter lack of any kind of subtlety to it. Any message that something is portraying will be very very clear and not open for any kind of interpretation and also as I've kind of recently discovered from having things like South Park and Friends on in the background while I'm working there's quite an un- comfortable level of casual homophobia which I had actually <laughs> forgotten about and that's not something the Flash will ever exactly, yes. of course, because it lives in a weird idealised world where racism isn't really a thing, Cisco will never encounter racism, Chester will never encounter racism, Joe. the only racism that exists is against the metahumans, unless they go to Freeland, in which <laughs> case they'll encounter it in spades, which is quite unlikely now, given that Black Lightning is over, but Black Lightning might just turn up for no reason like he usually does like he did in Crisis. Why are you here? Doesn't matter. Yes, I have call. He's actually part of the nascent pseudo Justice League. For some reason. For some reason, I'm sure will probably never come up again. Nope. It probably won't. Certainly not in a large form because it just doesn't seem to be on the cards. No. But the trip to the 90s was good for getting Chester to understand why his dad left. That was the reason for his trip. And in terms of developing his character, it served it very, very well, with that being quite a significant part of his personal history, which is now dealt with. Although it was the... I've discovered my dad's plans for this device that will help us defeat the Godspeeds. Why was he making <laughs> this? What was he planning to use it for? Just in case a bunch of crazy speedsters come into town, I'll be ready. You're an inventor that works out your garage that's never succeeded at anything. Why are you building this thing? Doesn't make any sense, but whatever. But it was a good emotional beat for Chester, and I think he was used well throughout the season. I like him, and I remember when he was introduced last season, my immediate thought is, this guy's going to annoy me. Because he just seemed like someone that would, but he didn't. He actually really didn't. He's certainly found his place in the team and in the show. And I am actually quite looking forward to seeing what they do with him and how they're going to develop him further. Because I think he has quite a lot of potential. And because I really only just started exploring who he is, there's any number of directions that they can take it. Yeah. And since we discussed Allegra, we might as well cover her here. Most of her contribution to the season was around her dealing with the grief of losing her cousin, which I thought they did really well. We've discussed innumerable times on these podcasts that 
one thing the Arrowverse does well is a varied approach to grief. Yes, that is true. I think they do it brilliantly. And I think with Allegra, it was something different still. And I really like how it altered her powers. Her emotional state alters her powers and makes her less useful or makes her less able to do what they needed her to do. And the guilt that she carried over not following Esperanza when she was hunting down Black Hole, that guilt that she felt, but it was the whole, because you didn't do that means the Flash is still alive. Whether that's actually true or not is irrelevant, but it's the idea of you made a tough call and you shouldn't blame yourself for that. Because she was going to do that anyway, and you might both have ended up dead if that had been the case, and things like that. I think that was done really well. And then you had that whole idea of control and abuse and so on through Esperanza being controlled by Black Hole. Because they'd never done anything with her before. The whole ultraviolet character, she was just some weird masked person that showed up whenever they needed to throw light beams at someone. Although Allegra tapping into her powers was a bit weird. Her fully connecting to them because she's found a new family and she glows like an angel or whatever it was. That was a bit much. Slightly over symbolism, certainly. I just took it as a visual manifestation of her accepting what had happened and finally dealing with it. When you lose somebody in tragic circumstances, it's a natural reaction to always consider that I could have done anything differently to have saved them. But to constantly think about that and have that dominating your thoughts, it doesn't do anything except end up driving you insane. And the fact that Allegra's powers were affected by that kind of emotional state, I thought it was a really effective way of demonstrating exactly what it is that she was feeling without her having to explicitly say anything. I really liked the way that that it was done. And if more of the writing had that kind of subtlety and tact and sensitivity, then I think, on a whole, the show would be a hell of a lot more enjoyable. For sure. But Allegra's journey towards not accepting what had happened, but living with what had happened was really good. I've always liked that character. I always think she's been used pretty well in the show. And leaning into her heritage as well is really good. When she's speaking to Esperanza, she speaks in Spanish, or she flips between English and Spanish naturally. They both do. I think that's really good. Obviously, I don't know how multilingual people operate in that way, but it makes sense that they're both as comfortable in one language as another and they just move between them naturally as they're talking and the other person keeps up. I don't have a great deal of personal experience with that matter either. And and because I'm really terrible at learning languages, it's probably not something I, I ever will. Well, there have been times where people I've worked with who aren't native English speakers commented that when Scottish people are talking to each other we apparently sound like really really scottish and more often use scots words and dialect in from a more casual and comfortable way than than they would to somebody whose grasp of english isn't quite as strong so make an effort to speak more simply to them i'm not really actually really going anywhere with this thought <laughs> that's, that's about that's about as close to a personal perspective on, on the matter that i have to contribute really it was just a little detail that gives you an insight into their background without being overt about it, it's just a thing that they do. And I think it works really well. It's especially when Allegra's distressed, she'll go back to Spanish, that I noticed. So maybe it's just she naturally falls on that. It's almost like speaking English is a conscious decision on her part. But when she's upset or trying to get Esperanza to see reason, she emphatically says it in Spanish. Things like that. I don't think it's true in all cases, but I think it's consistent enough. Absolutely. And having Allegra and Esperanza speak to each other like that, it's just a very efficient way of of establishing that they have that kind of close and comfortable connection with one another. Yeah, definitely. Unfortunately, the Allegra connecting to her powers in that way gives Team Flash another obscenely powerful character that they can forget about. 
Sadly, yes. But uh, that's just something we can deal with as and when it inevitably will occur. Yeah. Although one obscenely powerful character that they do use, perhaps overuse, is Cecile. She gains the power to project her thoughts into other people's minds now. Somehow. It just happens. It doesn't come from anywhere. It just happens. It's also one of those issues of people whose abilities haven't been very well defined. And they can sometimes find themselves constantly growing more powerful for no real reason, just because that's what's needed of them. And this notion in particular had the potential of bringing up an interesting talking point, the idea of people's very minds being overwritten by somebody else's thoughts and somebody else's will. But again, it was just another thing that seemed to have not been observed or just felt there wasn't enough time to properly explore it. Although it did factor into another one of the episodes that I really liked this season, the Psycho Pirate one. I thought that was... Really well done because Cecile was being taken over by Psycho Pirate. I thought it was a great episode, even though it contained another mind trip. The trope that they love to employ in this show, because I guess it's the only way to challenge Barry in ways that don't involve him running fast, is to stick him inside someone's mind where he has no powers and has to think his way out or figure his way out. Danielle Nicolette did a really good job in that episode because she was playing Psycho Pirate. She was playing normal Cecile, in effect, and then she was playing... Mad Cecile. Insane Cecile? Yeah, I don't know. Is that politically incorrect? Is that insensitive? But she was playing those three disparate versions of herself in a way. Well, Psycho Pirate's a different character, but it was it was great. And I think what it had to say about mental health was really interesting. In some ways, it did come across as now on a very special episode of The <laughs> Flash. Yeah. In some ways, because you had that button conversation at the end where Joe talks about, I think we all have to be more open to discussing mental health, especially the fact that we're in mortal danger mm. once a week. All the stuff that we go through, they have to be more open about talking about their mental state because it's important. And it doesn't seem to factor in, and it never factors in since, at least so far. But I really like that she's hiding the shame that she feels because she was in an institution earlier in life. She doesn't tell people about it because she's ashamed of it. She doesn't want to be seen in the light of being the insane one went to an asylum, that kind of stuff. I thought that was great, even though she has no reason to believe that her friends and family, as they are now, will think that of her. It's still that irrational, what if they do? What if they see me differently if I tell them about this? And I thought that was really powerful. I thought that was excellently done. Yeah, because quite often when people do suffer from mental health issues, it's difficult to separate the way that your illness makes you perceive yourself from how you, you believe that other people will perceive you because of it. And even though you might be aware on an intellectual level that the people would be supportive and understanding, it's always going to be this niggling voice at, at the back of your head just constantly making you question if they will actually react in the way that you hope they will, or if revealing that aspect of yourself will fundamentally alter what they think of you. And it's really important to address that, that the whole how you see things, or how you might see things, and how other people might see things are two different things. But it's also very difficult to reconcile that in your head and understand it. I think it's fair to admit in this podcast that you and I have both had our mental struggles, especially recently. Uh, very true, yes. And I know that I have, and I don't mind admitting it and I could buy into a lot of what Cecile was talking about people tell you I'm here for you, I want to help let me know what I can do to help it's never a problem to come to me etc but you end up, or certainly I do internalising everything end up thinking I can't go to this person to just open up with this thing I can't talk about this, I can't just go right to them with this because what if they've got their own stuff coming on, what if they don't want to hear it what if 
they see me differently afterwards. It's all this paranoia that floats around your head, and that's exactly what Cecile had. Albeit in her case, it was a lot more extreme. I think she talked about how it was losing her mother that broke her, and that's how she ended up in the institution. And then she got better and got out, but she never got over it. And part of it was her pretending she was okay when she isn't, which again, we're all doing to some degree. Yeah, and the very fact that people feel it necessary to pretend to always be okay and that these things don't affect them is actually a very major contributory factor to them being such a big issue. Because if more people felt able to discuss these things and felt more confident that it wouldn't result in them being judged and ostracised, then it would be a lot easier for them to actually handle. Yeah, and I especially liked how Cecile talked about putting on that facade and she had been for years because... She wasn't okay. And that's why Psycho Pirate was able to infiltrate her in such a deep way because he could prey on that stuff and defeated her because of that, locked her inside herself because of that stuff that she was unable to deal with. And then obviously she has that moment where she, well, she doesn't quite overcome it because it is clear at the end of the episode she's still struggling with it, but it no longer has that same power over her. So she took a step forward. And whether that will be a permanent step forward, because I know myself, I've had a few steps backwards. Yeah, and I think that's actually quite a realistic way of portraying it. Because these thoughts aren't things that you just suddenly get over. are things that can be instantly resolved with the right speech or the right personal revelation. And to some extent, they are always going to linger. But the difference is how much power you allow them to have over you. And if you can get to a point where where you can be aware that you have these thoughts, but at the same time manage to push them down to a level where they can't directly affect you, then quite often that's about the best that you can hope for. And also doing that whole, well, you just need the right speech to fix you, also suggests that the person needs fixed, which they don't. Exactly. It's part of who they are, and... It's actually uncharacteristically sophisticated of the show to address it in that way. Because they have so often been like, we're dealing with this emotional issue this week. We've learned a lesson we need to learn. Emotional issue resolved onto the next emotional issue. But it's the fact is this is something Cecile's been living with for years. It's part of who she is. It will always be a part of her. The episode makes that clear. And she's now just acknowledging it rather than trying to hide from it, which is the key difference. And again, she might have a back step. She probably won't because it's not that kind of show. But she might. People do. Relapses, regression, it happens. I know it's happened with me, and I don't mind admitting that. It's happened with me on several occasions. Setbacks are common, and it doesn't take much. It's one setback, and then any kind of progress I've made is undone or feels undone. So, yeah, it's, it's a very powerful episode. Very well done. But let's move to Cisco. He is one of two characters that left this season, which... Kind of feels like a long time coming, to be honest. It feels like they've been setting up his exit for years. With him going on his hiatuses, his sabbaticals to Atlantis and so on, to explore the world and him questioning whether he wants to be Vibe anymore and all this stuff. It really feels like they've been trying to get rid of him or he's been trying to get rid of himself for a long time. So I'm surprised it took this long, to be honest. But I think the episode that his exit happened was really good. It felt like an old school season one episode. It was about the fundamentals, the three OG Team Flash members. It gave Cisco a hero moment to play with where he landed a blimp or something. And it was just really good, really funny episode. Yeah, I quite liked it too. I certainly agree that his departure has felt like it's been a long time coming. And it's certainly been a case in more recent seasons that there's been times where he's almost felt surplus to requirements. And certainly with their 
being times when he's off somewhere else, it demonstrates that there are multiple situations in which the team is able to manage without him. So it's certainly been on the cards. Well, if it is something that has been planned, I'm not sure why it took this long to actually bring it about. But the way in which it was done actually felt really natural and not forced in any way. Um, which in terms of the kind of plot lines that we've been seeing this season is quite surprising, but also quite welcome. There's a few issues associated with his exit that I've got problems with, such as the whole Camilla thing. I've never bought into their relationship because they've never given me reason to. They've never done anything with them. You just see them as a couple occasionally and nothing really happens there. And then suddenly it's the, we're going to leave and build a life together. And there should be issues around the, but I save the world routinely. Can I walk away from that? And I suppose the way he resolves that is by working with Argus, which means that he can. Although... Wasn't there a similar plot where Curtis couldn't work with Argus because they were morally dubious? Yes, but I took the assumption to be that under Lila's leadership, then the company has become a bit more benevolent, perhaps. She was corrupt or corrupt-ish at first, although I suppose Diggle constantly needling her <laughs> makes a few changes. It's one of those things, it wasn't actually discussed in any way, but that's just my headcanon for dealing with it. Yeah. The other issue, well, the Camilla relationship is well documented, I guess, how poorly that was done. But I suppose if there's one reason to do that, it's that they yeah go and build a life together somewhere else. For him to immediately come back a few episodes later, therefore kind of devaluing his exit, because I'm back and I'm normal and I'm back on the team for a bit. I won't be here next season. I'm just moonlighting. It kind of suggests that they can just bring him in whenever and they might bring him in whenever so it could be one of those he's moved out but he's always here so what's the difference really that's what it could turn into i just took it as that moment was just going to be a one-off because the notion of a character who has been written out of a series making a very timely and dramatic reappearance is something that has been done dozens of times before in multiple different TV shows. It just so happened that in this case, Cisco's departure was so close to his dramatic reappearance. It didn't feel like enough time had passed for it to have that same level of impact. I feel fairly confident in asserting that isn't going to be something that's going to be a regular recurrence, and I think it's pretty much gone now. And I was thinking that his appearance was kind of pointless up until that final scene where he was doing his comedy routine as the celebrant at the renewing vows ceremony thing. By the power vested in me, but by a quick internet search a couple of hours ago. <laughs> yeah, because up until that point, why is he here? He hasn't done anything of consequence. And then they did that, and it's like, okay, that's why he's here. I'm okay with that now. Yeah, because if they're going to be finishing it with a scene like that, then he needs to be a part of it. He can't just not be there. Yeah, for sure. Another issue I have is with the whole mecha vibe identity that he now has. Because we have this whole long story about him. I don't want to be vibe anymore. I want to get rid of my powers. I want to just live a normal life. And now he's accepted this technological upgrade of himself to essentially give himself the vibe powers. What's the difference? Well, I think that goes back to the notion of metahuman powers being part of who somebody is. So because Cisco made the, the decision that Vibe isn't somebody who he, he wants to be anymore, he was then kind of removing the Vibe aspect of himself. And then by adopting the Mecha Vibe identity, that is something that, that he can choose to be uh, at a particular moment. And then when it served its purpose, he can put it away again. And then, then it, it's not something that's a constant part of him. Which is fine, however... They haven't covered it. They never did the point where he made that decision and it being a definitive difference from before. It's just one of those things that's happening, isn't it? Again, there's no way. It's that I don't want to be this, but I'm okay being this. There should have been an arc that built up to the 
No, I'm okay helping out in the field once in a while, and I will use my technology to do it. Oh, yeah, absolutely. It's just, again, my headcanon just addressing the narrative shortcomings of everything that we've been presented with. And when headcanon can do that, it really helps the writers, doesn't it? (laughs) Do their job for them. It just seems to have been something he started doing rather than something he decided to do and meaning something to him. And they should have made a point of that being the distinction, if that is the distinction, which isn't clear if it isn't. In the moment, it just seems like at some point he didn't like being a superhero, so got rid of that capability to be a superhero. And then he decided, actually, I do want to be a superhero. So he built himself a mecha suit to enable him to do that. Yeah, and the train of thought and emotional decision-making that led to that kind of decision is certainly something that should have been explored, or at the very least have been addressed as something that took place. Yeah. But now it's just something that we have to just accept just happened and that's it yeah and now he's not here anymore so it's pointless to even address it we should talk about welds or the wellsies we had two this season nash gives up his life to power the speed force the artificial speed force the real speed force whatever the hell it is that was a moving moment and i really liked how barry was like i can't lose anyone else how many people have i lost i just can't lose any more people and then nash is like it's my honor it's redemption for him in a way because he got rid of the multiverse in a lot of ways. It was his fault and shows how close he's become to the team. He does it for Allegra as well. He does it for all those reasons. And I thought it really worked as a sacrificial moment. And yeah, there's no more Wellsies after this, apart from the one that we'll introduce like a minute afterwards or so. To be honest, I never really found Nash as interesting as some of the other versions of Wells. And when he ended up sticking around after Crisis, it kind of felt like, why are you here? What are you doing? What's the point of you right now? But I do think that the guilt that he would have felt by being one who effectively caused Crisis was actually played quite well. And I do certainly buy that he would feel enough guilt and responsibility in, in what he's done to feel that sacrificing his life for the cause was the only way to attain redemption for it. Yeah, that worked. I'm actually perfectly happy and satisfied with how that whole arc played out. Yeah. Timeless Wells, however, I was less satisfied with because I wasn't quite sure what the hell was going on there. They go over the grave and then he materialises out of the grave and it's like, oh, this might be ominous. Then the next episode he turns up and he's like, hi, I'm Harrison Wells, the original one, kind of. I can move through time, so I'm just going to keep reliving every day with my dead wife until well, forever. I'm just going to keep doing that forever and that'll be me. And then he shows up to help out later on and they use that to get around the, what if we break the timeline by going back in time? It's, well, it won't happen because I'm here. What are these explanations? <laughs> yeah, because the timeline has been broken in the Flash so many times that it's practically a running joke now. Anytime some kind of weird reality fluctuation crops up anywhere in the Arrowverse, it's like, Barry, what did you do? Oh, Barry. That's just like, blessed state. Oh, yeah, well, that's not going to happen. Just because I won't let it happen. Because I can just prevent that because reasons. Well, they did that neat bit of foreshadowing, actually, where... They were reactivating the speed force and you had Wells looking off to the side for some reason. It looked odd in the moment because he was looking in a different direction from everyone else. But it turned out he was looking at himself and Barry, which was an interesting bit of foreshadowing. But they've never done predestination before in the show. so Yeah, so it wasn't something that quite as significant as, as they might have meant it to be. Yeah, but Timeless Wells was just a bit of a confusing character. I think if Tom Cavanaugh wants to move on, fine. He's been around long enough. They've found innumerable excuses to keep him around. They have now two excuses to bring him back periodically whenever he feels like it. I believe he's directing the finale of Superman and Lois as well. So he's keeping his skin in the game, I guess. 
So he'll come back as Timeless Wells and or Thon in the future. I found it a bit confusing and I found it just a bit, here's an explanation, here's an explanation, just accept it. To be fair, that's what the whole season did. This is why this happened. And we're just not supposed to question it. And it just got tiresome. And he was a bit of a physical manifestation of that. Yeah, because there have just been so many narrative decisions made that just seemed completely irrational and done because they felt like it, not because it would be in, in any way significant to the plot. And there's more just him randomly showing up saying, yeah, I'm here, deal with it. Him appearing, it was, it was like a solution to a problem that doesn't actually exist. There's no logical reason for his manifestation, and his appearance didn't actually solve or resolve anything. It was just something they just shoved in there because they felt like it. Although that It's a Moment of Creation scene was really good, where he helped Barry realise that he has to let this thing happen because it's a moment of creation and you can't uncreate these forces because it's not right and whatever else. It may have made not a lot of sense in the grand scheme of things, but it seemed like a powerful moment at the time. That is true, yeah. I can't really think of much more positive to say about it. Nah, it was just a thing that was a thing in the season. One thing I did like is they managed to keep Sue around despite Ralph not being allowed back. Yeah, I did like that actually, because even though Sue has only been in a few episodes, I thought she was a brilliant character, and the way that she played off the, off the team was done brilliantly, and I uh, really thought it would have been such a shame to lose someone like that purely because of the, the actions of, of, of somebody else. It might be a sl- slightly shallow way of looking at it, but it's not fair. Really? No, for sure. It isn't fair that she potentially has to leave the show and the actor doesn't get work because of what Hartley Sawyer did. But I think the entire cast deserve Emmys for not laughing when they got rid of Ralph when he turned up (laughs) in the Daft Punk helmet. Yes. For keeping a straight face through all that and thinking, this is a very normal thing for us. That was so funny. And the melted plastic face, that was another funny bit. That was incredible. I don't envy them having to write him out in that way. But the, the way they came up with it was just so funny. Yeah, and I really admire them actually making that effort for him to have been written out in a way that doesn't preclude Sue's return, should they decide to go in that direction in the future. And he can always come back with a new face, so all is not lost there. But she comes back, she says that Ralph's dealing with some other stuff. She comes back for that reason. And then she ends up being inspired by Allegra to look up her family because she learns a lesson in that way. I liked her as a standoffish presence, saying the opposite thing to what everyone else on Team Flash was saying. There's not enough of that. Yeah, it's one of the fundamental issues of the show, in that too many of the central characters tend to think and react in the same way. So there's not often dissenting voices regarding how to deal with any given situation. But Sue absolutely provides that. And also because she's somebody who is utterly unafraid to speak her mind to anybody. And having her there to provide that, perspective is a brilliant addition. Yeah, though her coming round to that way of thinking by the end of the episode was a bit weird. Like, no, 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 you're still right. You still have a valid point here. It just so happened to work out this time. Yeah, but again, that's another of Flash's issues. Any situation can be oversimplified into a binary decision of what's the right way of doing it and what's the wrong way of doing it. Just too simplistic, yeah. Bart and Nora, kids from the future. Barry and Iris are now have two kids from the future, with Nora being the older one, Bart being a younger one. This Nora is a completely new one who's not reckless and not impetuous and not as childish as the other one, which they don't really lean into. She didn't seem different enough, but fine, I was okay with it. Bart, I was so sure, would annoy me based on just how in-your-face he was. A bit like Bart Simpson, mm-hmm. appropriately named, I suppose. But he wasn't, or at least not all the time. I think he had enough 
depth and edge to him. That whole seeing Godspeed as his thorn and his off-screen relationship with Jay Garrick being his favourite uncle and stuff like that. Even though you didn't see that, although you saw the beginnings of it in a way. Uncle Jay, I like that, etc. I thought that worked really well as a motivation for him and in the way that informed his behaviour. And the way that he was able to slow down, ha ha ha. But he was able to do that when it counted to open up about certain things. I thought he was a great addition. I thought he worked really well. To be honest, I've never really liked Impulse as a character, because quite often the way he's interpreted, I've always tended to find him really annoying. Well, this iteration of him was a lot more sympathetic, and actually had aspects of his personality that actually explain his rash behaviour, and makes him more relatable, and somebody who you want to see more of, and understand better. And I, th- I thought the sibling dynamic between Bart and Nora was done really, really well. When they bicker and argue with each other, it just really, really feels like a genuine brother and sister, as well as superheroes who fought supervillains together. And that whole dynamic was actually a joy to watch, despite of how briefly we actually saw it. Though I did think it's strange that with earlier in the season there being such a big deal uh, about Barry and Iris wanting to be parents, and now that they're meeting their actual children from the future. It wasn't played into as much as I would have thought about them seeing the kind of people that Nora and Bart have grown into, and and using that to establish the kind of parents that they might become, or would want to be. Well, there wasn't time. There was a million characters in the final two episodes, and so much going on. Yeah, but I just thought it was just such a strange disconnect for such fundamentally relatable aspects of the plot to not be put together. Yeah. Well, I did like with Nora, she's more in control of her abilities because they've clearly been nurtured over her life, having both parents support her, growth as a hero, etc., has been a positive influence on her. So she's not that damaged, tortured, insecure presence that she was before. She's more mature, more sure of herself, more confident in her abilities. In terms of her personality, there didn't seem to be a lot of difference, but that stuff was clearly there. Because even though it was very, very firmly established that this Nora is different from the season five Nora, there was certainly enough similarities between two women that it's it's clear that they're two versions of the same person, but not so similar that this was season five Nora just resurrected. And I quite liked it uh, taking the time to have her mention that she still feels the presence of the other Nora, so that she shows somebody who did exist and hasn't just been erased from reality. And they mentioned Wally as well. Yes, which I took to be an explanation of why he didn't turn up for the big Flash family fight against Godspeed. And if the actor doesn't want to do it, fair do. <laughs> There's nothing you can do about that. Yeah, I've was a reason. Yeah, but it's interesting they mention him because normally they wouldn't and we wouldn't think twice about it. Or we'd be saying here, it's hilarious they didn't mention Wally again. They forgot him again. Yeah, but... Yes, and possibly briefly resurrecting the Where's Wally feature. Yes, the time-honoured Where's Wally feature. Where is he? Who knows? (laughs) Who cares? Does he have a speed back? Probably. Everyone else does. But yeah, Nora and Bart, good additions. Bart sings, which is something that he does. Good actors doing those roles. And even though there was no stakes to... Bart being injured in the end. I felt like there was, to begin with, it felt like there was a consequence to his mistake where he almost died. Obviously, literally a snap of a finger is pretty much he was brought back. But up until that point, it seemed like it was a very real problem. Yeah, I didn't believe for a moment that there was any chance of him actually dying. But him having that kind of life-threatening injury as a result 
of how he perceives Godspeed in relation to himself was quite an effective encapsulation of his character. And I uh, kind of got the impression that, that it might well not have been the first time that he's come near death while he's been battling hard. Yeah, so good additions, for sure. This is the part of the podcast where we normally speculate on next season, but there isn't an awful lot to go on here. We've got Thawne out there as a threat. Do you think the kids will be sticking around next season, or do you think they're just here for these two episodes? They haven't said anything about what the plans for next season are, although some have been suggesting that The Flash is stealthily moving into its final season. To be honest, that would be kind of a relief, because I really think it's run its course. (laughs) <laughs> we didn't laugh when you said running joke earlier when we should have, but we've addressed it now, so fine. I don't really think that there's a great deal more that they can do with it. And as we mentioned earlier, the characters are utterly stagnating in this developmental limbo, which would suggest that they really don't know what to do with them further. And with the new Arrowverse shows that we've got and other ones being planned, then I think the removal of one that's been running for so long actually feels like a natural decision. Yeah, I mean, there's nothing official about it. It's just there's some speculation around the fact that they might finish it off next season. There's almost a suggestion of that with Thawne being back on the board. They might set it up to be a final confrontation with Thawne to bring it full circle or whatever. Even though they've had at least three final confrontations with Thawne already. Yeah, but this will be the final, final one. <laughs> Personally, I'd have thought the initial final confrontation where he was erased from reality should have been one that pretty much stuck, but evidently not. Just can't get rid of him. It's a bad smell. He just can't get rid of him. Do you think the two kids will be hanging around next season? I suppose they were maybe waiting to see how audiences reacted to, well, Bart more than Nora, because we already know Nora spent a season with her, and, and the production team will know that the audience responded well to her, so Bart would be the question mark. Depends on the actor availability. Someone said somewhere that Jordan Fisher, is that his name? I think so. He's too good for this show. I mean, I've never seen him in no, anything. not someone I'm familiar with, no. I don't know. I wouldn't be averse to seeing them around, having a team that has three speedsters, a really powerful kind of sidekick, whatever Allegra's power levelling up is. Frost is a bit much. I certainly think they'll be around at the start of the season, though I would imagine that after maybe... Three or four episodes, they'll end up heading back to the future. Uh, (laughs) The size of the show's ensemble is already pretty large, and at times a bit unwieldy. So I think having another two additions to it to constantly try to find balance with may prove a little too complicated to maintain in the long run. Hasn't stopped them trying before. That's true, though I'm just trying to think of the most positive outcome that I can imagine. (laughs) which does tend to lead to disappointment but there we go one thing that will probably get picked up is the Kramer-Adam plot because that kind of fizzled out I don't have much to say about it but the only reason I mention it is because I recently interviewed Julian Black Antelope who played Adam and he was really cool he talked a lot about Indigenous First Nations representation on television and so on so have a listen to that it's really good but yeah I don't have a lot to say about that other than it was just something for Joe to do for a while but they'll pick that back up because it is kind of unresolved it seemed like this was always the plan of of what they were going to do with Kramer with her whole vendetta against Frost there wasn't any any room to actually bring that to the fore in, in the beginning but as a result of that because she'd been a part of the show for a while without any hint of this then for her whole pair of duplication meta ability to just appear it felt like it kind of 
came out of nowhere and was a little bit rushed. So I hope that when it is addressed in next season, it will be a bit more nuanced and steady in how they deal with it. Yeah, because they didn't cover the whole problem of her being what she hates or whatever else that could have been underneath that. Yeah, because that, that just felt like a waste opportunity. And especially earlier on with her being characterised by utterly despising the concept of the existence of metahumans, then for her to realise that she is one would likely sow the seeds of an identity crisis, which is something that there was absolutely no hint of, but is exactly the kind of character arc that the show would give somebody. Yeah, and then we might get a Joe and Cecile wedding, and we might actually see their child. Never know. Their, what, three-year-old child (laughs) at this point? I've lost track. Of course you have, because literally never featured. So I think that's us. We have covered the season in detail, so in our usual custom, why don't you just wrap up with your Final thoughts on season seven. Get it, just the last of it out of your system. I think we covered everything. I don't think we missed much. There are very few stones unturned. Not really got much more specific to add other than what I've already said. It overall felt like a muddled mess of too many stories that took too long to not really go anywhere at all and then end up being resolved completely unsatisfactorily. It was some good character work, some very frustrating character work, and if the next season is going to be the last one, I just hope they do better and allow it to go out on something resembling the kind of quality that it once was. Yeah, you know they're still capable of it after the season one-esque Cisco exit episode, so they can still do it. They just don't. And that's the most frustrating thing about it. Yeah, I kind of echo what you said. It was a mess of a season. The three arcs were pretty lacklustre in execution. There was some great stuff that I've mentioned. The speed thinking episode, the mental health episode, Cisco's exit episode, they were all great. But there are little islands in a sea of chaos, aren't they? And that's a big problem. As we've said many times before, the show is way past its best and may not be able to get back to that at this point, much as they might want to. But... Some good stuff in there, some good character work in there. It just doesn't all hang together very well. Still watching it, though, for some reason. So there's that. Masochism, maybe. Yeah, so we'll be back next year talking about how disappointing we found Season 8 and possibly the final ever episode. I would say I'm looking forward to it, but that would be a lie. (laughs) Well, you can look forward to the chat. These chats are always fun. There is that, yes, and there's a certain degree of catharsis to them. Yes, for sure. So yeah, that's it. That's our discussion of Season 7 of The Flash. Andrew, thanks for joining me for this discussion. Thank you for coming out of the Speed Force or wherever you came from to do this. You're very welcome, and I will now disappear in a flash of colour-coded lightning. Go and live in a house that's inside a force of nature. Somehow. I'm sure it makes sense to somebody. Don't know who, but somebody. Big thanks to Neil Stenson for the supplied music. Big thanks to Isaac, our in-house artist for the supplied artwork. If you enjoy what you heard, then you can subscribe to us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or any major podcasting app. If you're on Apple Podcasts, please do leave us a star rating and a comment. It really does help the show out. Five stars if you're feeling generous or really thought that we deserved it. Anything else if you didn't. But leave a comment. Let us know. And if you want to talk about The Flash or anything else, you can hit us up on Facebook and Twitter under Neil Before Blog. Or leave a comment on neilbeforeblog.co.uk. We always want to hear from you, your thoughts on the show and whatever else. And as always, we hope you'll join us next time on Neil Before Pod. <laughs>